Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with the juice to get you through the long night. And on today's episode of the Obsidian Knights podcast, I'm going to be diving deep into Aria 2 of A Game of Thrones, and I'm joined by sweet summer family member, Poncho Jack. What's going on? I'm glad you could make it. Would you like to tell the sweet summer family who you are and where they can find you? Uh, yes. Um, so my real name's uh, Alpha, A-L-P-H-A. Uh, a lot of people say it's pretty cool. I think it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, you can follow me at uh, Pancho uh, by one on Twitter. I don't have that many followers, so, and I don't even post that much either. So I don't know what people will get out of that. <laughs> but no, no, a song of ice and fire tweets. Um, it kind of, I dialed that back uh, since season eight. Yeah. <laughs> kind of moved on. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm huge into basketball, so I'm, like, really into NBA Twitter. Um, okay. Kind of into politics, too, so if you don't like that, probably <laughs> don't show up. <laughs> yeah, but generally, I just like a lot of stuff and uh, retweet stuff, and then I just write, uh, tweet my own stuff. So that's, that's basically what I do on Twitter. So well, That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but you're a big Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire fan? Yes, I am. Um, I started out with the TV show first, um, so I didn't read the books yet. And I, I can't remember when I started watching it, but I got instantly hooked. And then when I found out there was a book series, I'm like, hold up, why didn't I read that yet? So, you know, while I was, you know, I was in college, you know, my first year of college, so I just went to the library, got the first book, and it was kind of similar to the first season that I watched, but not so similar like there was so much more detail and I really really like that as somebody who liked the show I'm like wow this is everything you could ask for there's way more detail there's more characters you know everything is much more fuller yeah I've I've always read a lot of you know books too so it was right up my uh, lane yeah I love a song of ice and fire it's it's probably my I, it has to be my favorite book. Like I always talk about different book series, like, oh, that's my favorite. Oh, that's my favorite. But like my true favorite is A Song of Ice and Fire. And it's just because the world building, I feel is just so good. Like it's a, like an, immer- like you're, you get immersed in it. Right. right. <laughs> and I think the thing that captivated me the most was the character work. Like it was so weird how like the, the show you know, I could see the characters from the show in the book, but then almost in the same way that I can actually, like, see them. Like, it's, it was just so mind-blowing to me just how much detail <laughs> and how different each chapter sounded. It, yeah. it was just so amazing to me. Like, he actually, like, went into the minds of these characters and he's writing uh, the way that they would see the world. And it was just so, so incredible to me. And then, like you said, the world building is... 
that's like my cup of tea because I, you know, I've read Harry Potter and all that. And world building is always something that captivates me. So I'm like, I'm huge into fantasy anyways. So, you know, I've started reading like uh, Robert Jordan's uh, The Wheel of Time. Uh-huh. How so, do you like that? Oh, it's it's great. It's it's so good. Okay. Uh, I- I keep getting recommended it as people keep recommending it to me and I like looked it up and I was like it's like 13 books <laughs> yeah it is ginormous and I had to, I had to take a break because right now I'm not reading any books because I I read like the first like five or six basically back to back and I'm like you know what I gotta rest this is just too much <laughs> right is, and it's the world building in this series is just amazing the the cultures the the amount of like different people that are involved the 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 magic system too is just so so good like it's it's one of the most detailed that i've ever read in any fantasy series and it's oh, actually I that that i would out. love yeah I it's, check that out. <laughs> it's amazing and if and you feel like want like any content on it daniel green on youtube he's awesome. super into it yeah he's 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 really good with uh that i'll check it out so um, in Game of Thrones, is Arya your favorite character? Yes. Funny enough, it used <laughs> to be Jon Snow. Uh, uh-huh. But I, I kind of don't like Jon Snow anymore. He's just, just too whatever to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think my favorite characters would have to be Sansa, Tyrion, and uh, maybe uh, mm, Daenerys. Daenerys. Like her journey in Essos is, I really enjoy that in the books. I love like, her. Right, a nice change of scenery, you know, seeing her and her come up and all the mistakes that she makes. It's, it's yeah. a really, really fascinating character. Just getting to be in Essos, period. <laughs> it makes her chapters better than most of the other ones. Like right. most of the, I, I'd rather be in Essos because it's so much mystery over there and we're getting to see the East through her eyes. Right. And the Dothraki and are fascinating. Yeah. Like love the Dothraki uh the Dothraki, uh, you know, all the free cities. It it's just so so much rich details. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I like a lot in uh in a book series. So Yeah, that's why Arya is one of my favorite um book characters because her chapters in Bravos are some of my favorite chapters. Like, a, a Feast for Crows for me is probably the best book. Thank you. I, I've been saying this so many... I don't know why people just don't like... I, I just love A Feast for Crows. And it's like the, the title fits, the, the plotting, everything in there is just so good. The chapters, I really love... I think Feast for Crows is probably my favorite, too. It's, it is. Like, those Cersei chapters, Brienne... Samuel Tarley on the Cinnamon Wind, Maester Eamon, like all of that stuff. Jamie's chapters, like I, Arian Bravos. I can't think of anything bad about A Feast for Crows. And then you get the Dorn stuff. Right, right. Dorn, a new change of pace. I also like the 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 consequences of the War of the uh, the Five Kings. Like, it's just like I need you need to see that because I think if. Um, George R. R. Martin, if he didn't hone in on that, the consequences of this war, yeah, it wouldn't be the same. Like it, it wouldn't be the like the darkness, the uh, the character development, all of that would be missed because yeah, this this huge war happened, and we have to know 
what were the consequences and how it affected each and every character. And some of the most interesting characters are all in this book. So, yeah. Right. And it's like the, it's the, I think, you know what? I think a lot of people don't like it because it doesn't have a John or a Danny POV in it. And I think it was kind of like bitterness towards like the book from the book fans because they had waited a long time, I guess, between Storm of Swords and A Feast for Crows. So, and they expected these, these John chapters and stuff, but then it got split up into two books. So supposedly A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons was one book that got split into two. <laughs> wow. That would have been a ginormous book. Right. Wow. <laughs> So that's like that's what I'm thinking. Winds of winter. That's what I think is going to happen with Winds of Winter. Yeah, there's going to be like a book similar to A Feast for Crows that doesn't have the big POVs that all of the big POVs like John and Danny, which would be crazy. Yeah, but but I love the side characters. Like sometimes the lead characters are nice and they're cool, but Let's let's get into more areas. That's yeah. my thing. Yeah. Uh, Davos is a really good POV. I really like Davos's POV. Um, we get to see all that Stannis stuff through him and the Stormlands and White Harbor and all that kind of stuff. But today <laughs> we're gonna be talking about Arya 2 of a Game of Thrones. So Arya 2 is jam-packed with lots of juice. There are like literal things happening, symbolic things happening. You really get into the mind of Arya Stark and you kind of can like see the beginning of her arc. One thing a lot of these characters, Arya, Jon, Danny, Bran, they're all kind of alone. They always have people around them, but they all deal with like that second kind of loneliness, like being lonely in a crowded room, which is how this chapter opens up with Arya. Like Arya is at dinner with the men that she's grown up around, her father's guards, her father, Jory, Sansa, Septimordain, all of the House Stark people. And they're all talking about the tourney of the hand. <laughs> and <laughs> Arya knows that Ned hates it, which Arya is really like an observant child. Like, it, I always say this about Arya. She knew Joffrey was a piece of shit from the moment that she met him. Day one. Day, Day one. one. Right. She right. reads people really well. Right. That's, yeah, that's like one of her defining traits, I think. Um, the way that she reads a room, the way that she reads people. Um, and, you know, like, the, the way that this chapter opens, like you said, we, we see her alone. And, but there's all these people here. But I think she, the things that are bothering her the most are the fact that her father is not there yet. So, you know, her father walks in late, you know, because he's now the hand of the king and he doesn't spend as much time with them because he has all these duties. But, you know, she also misses, you know, Bran and Rickon and John, especially her connection with John is uh, Jon Snow is, is pretty tight. I think yeah. more than any other uh, sibling that she has. 
And then she's kind of stuck with Sansa and they're still beefing. (laughs) (laughs) They're still beefing. So she's like, yeah, I'm left with Sansa. Like, what's up with that? Yeah, so she's upset about that. But one thing that, and I love this about Arya, one thing that that she did in this chapter was she's talking about all the men that like, the master at arms, the captain of the guards, like she's naming all these people. And she's like, they all were running their mouth, but when it came down to it, they didn't do anything. So (laughs) she's like, she's like, fat Tom was there. And she's talking about the butcher boy being killed and those men that she thought would protect her, not being able to protect her, not doing anything. And she's like, Fat Tom, who always ran his mouth so much, didn't do anything. They just stood there and let it happen. And she said, like, even her father let it happen. So she's getting, like, introduced to the South really in a harsh way, like her and Sansa coming down, the whole lady situation, the Joffrey situation. And then Arius blames herself for the butcher's boy dying. Right. Talk about a traumatic experience at a pretty young age. Um, Brutal, just brutal stuff. Uh, But I think that's, it's part of her, you know, she's very clever and she's very smart. And it's her introduction to how you really can depend on even the people that you love the most, the people that you think are going to be there for you. You really can depend on them. And especially in this setting they are in, you know, in King's Landing, because Ned even told them, we're going to a very dangerous place. And I think she's starting to realize that more and more with, you know, how the, the butcher's boy, how he was just brutally killed. And, you know, it's pretty unsettling. And it's so unsettling that she doesn't even want to eat food. She's just, you know, looking at everybody like, I don't even want to be here. She, she just storms out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she storms out. And... You know, Lady, uh, what's her name? Septa Mordain. Yeah, Septa Mordain shout out, like, come back for your food. And she's like, y'all don't got to listen to you. Right. She just goes goes up in her room, locks the door, and I think Big Tom or Fat Tom. Yeah, Fat Tom. Fat Tom, right? Yeah. He comes up to the door, and he's like, you know, open the door. And he's like, and she's like, yeah, nobody's in here. And he just walks away. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's like, yeah, he was always an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was just she was just talking about all of them like they didn't do anything. And it, you're right, she's realizing like she's getting the depth of King's Landing and how out of their element they are. And I talked about this previously about Arya and Sansa always being like the little prince and the little the little princesses of Winterfell, even though they weren't technically princesses. But then they get thrust into this life where there are people above them and they're not used to it. So, and I feel like Sansa is adjusting a lot easier than Arya is. Sansa is like excited for the tournament. Arya is like, uh, I don't care about the tournament. I don't care about Prince Joffrey. Like, I don't care about anything. And Sansa is just like, Ooh, a tournament so splendid. I can't wait. I can't wait to go. And it's like they're both handling their grief a little differently. But there's like some foreshadowing, I think, for Arya in this chapter. 
And it's when she says, um, first of all, she has all those names that she goes over. Aria Horseface. Um, what is it? Aria Horseface. Aria Underfoot. It's like a, it's a couple different names. So the, all those different names that she has could indicate that she's going to wear multiple names. And we know that she does do that in um, Bravos that she's she'll run away oh she would go out the window and down the tower what run away from this horrible place away from sansa and septimordain and joffrey is that yeah <laughs> and that's kind of like what happens to Arya. like she um she runs away with nothing but her saddlebag just her on the king's road like she's the only Stark, like she's the lone wolf that they talk about in the Stark pack. And she, that's what she does. And that's what Nymeria kind of does in the Riverlands, like just goes off on her own and Arya kind of goes off on her own. So I think there is some foreshadowing a little bit there with that. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. The, the way that she wants to just open a window and just skedaddle and just leave everyone because, you know, she she has that tendency to just keep on moving because she knows that, you know, she doesn't like being here uh, in King's Landing. She finds it terrible. She doesn't enjoy it like Sansa does. And, and that's why she, ultimately, she doesn't do it because, you know, uh, Ned knocks on the door. Um, and the, the, the conversation between them, I just found so fascinating. But I think the dialogue in this chapter was just clutch like a plus <laughs> yeah i i just love the dialogue like it, it's just so snappy and it just shows how really good george r r martin is with his uh dialogue it's amazing yeah and it shows like the dialogue between aria and ned is very different than the dialogue between sansa and ned and i feel like um if you've heard of the girls gone canon podcast uh i had them on an episode of Overwatched and they were like shout out to Chloe and Eliana <laughs> they were saying they were saying that Ned has a better relationship with Arya because Ned relates Arya to the things that he loves like um Liana and Winterfell and all of that and he relates Sansa to the South, like the Southern ways. And, and like, they have like a disconnect. Ned and Sansa have a disconnect where Arya and Ned are kind of on the same page. Yeah, and I think it kind of plays into the Jon Snow thing. Like how, you know, Ned and Catelyn, there's just Jon Snow is in between them. And similarly, Sansa really does not have a, high opinion of Jon Snow like Arya does. Yes. Right? It, it is just super interesting, but I just love the, the tiny bits that are in the dialogue. Like, he's like, you know, you have a wildness in you, child. You know, yes. the wolf blood. And I'm like, uh, that's a bit on the nose there, George. <laughs> and he's like, and then he compares it to Liana, and I, I love when he, when he says this, you can see that he's reminiscing. Like he's going yes. back to the time and he's remembering and he's kind of sad too. 
like hey, the, the way that he remembers all this. And oh, he's like, yeah. you know, right? And he's like, Liana might have carried a sword if my Lord Father had allowed it. You remind me of her sometimes. You even look like her. Like, and that's what he says when he sees her with needle. And, it's, and it just speaks to how much he's also hiding a lot of pain. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. Grief. Yeah, Ned Stark. Jesus. He, I mean, can you imagine, like, he's this warrior. I will, I will call him, like, he's this lord, this great lord, this warrior. But the Robert's Rebellion cost him so much. Like, um, he lost his sister, he lost his brother, and he lost his father. He had to get married. He came home a dad uh, with a new wife. And he's now a lord of a castle, and he never thought he would be that. Well, not lord of Winterfell, at least. So he has to deal with all of that. And then, like, if whatever, I don't really know what happened at the Tower of Joy, but if he killed Sir Arthur Dane and it wasn't an honorable thing, he's dealing with that. He has to raise his sister's kid as his kid for fear that he might die. So yeah, the war cost him a lot and he's haunted by that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you kind of feel for him in 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 this chapter in my the way that I saw it. Um oh, of course, it's, like when he's <laughs> talking about the tourney. Right, right. You know, it's funny cuz Arya just like she's like I hate them. And she has like, you know, the big Anakin energy uh-huh. the people. I hate all of them <laughs> I hate Prince Joffrey and the king and whatever and he's like yes I, I know I, I know I hate them too but you know what can we do mm-hmm. we've come to a dangerous place we've come to a, a place where uh, we have to stick together and the quotables are here winter is coming you know when the snow falls and the white winds blow the lone wolf dies you know all the all the all the juice (laughs) (laughs) that's all the the stark stuff man that i mean that that's why this chapter is like a really good chapter not only does it show the bond between ned and Arya, not only does it have all of those um quotes like wolf blood and when the white winds blow and all that but it has just it captures just the dynamic of Ned in King's Landing. Not only Ned, not only does he have to be a lord, he has to put up with like preteen daughters that are fighting with each other, which is the war like on its own. Yeah. And it's it's pretty it's pretty brutal stuff. And then all his duties with the council and stuff, like he has to deal with King Roberts. <laughs> drunken ass everywhere just not doing shit the council like you know Varys doing what he's doing he can't really trust him because ain't nobody knows what the hell Varys be doing Littlefinger tries to get in between uh Ned tries to act like you know trust me you know I you know I knew your your wife and whatever it's it's just it's so much that he has to deal with right. and and one of the things that I I don't know if George was hinting at something in this chapter too, mm-hmm. when when Arya talks about oh, like 
I lied. I think it was Ned. He said, you know, you shouldn't lie about, you know, where you got the sword or something like that. And he was like, you know, I had to lie at one point. And then I connected that with, you know, when he's talking about Liana and John Snow. John Snow. I was like, this is John Snow. There is no way he's not talking about John Snow. I had to have, you know, it was like, you know, every once in a while we have to lie, you know, one of those lies. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that could be. And it's like John Snow again. And it's like brilliant work. And he said, even the lie was not without honor. Exactly. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, honorable lie. Maybe no messages, Ned. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that was some setup. Yeah, that I, I definitely think that was a callback or, or something. Because there's no way he's he's talking about Wolf Blood and Leanna and all that stuff. And he's not hinting at Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most tragic things with Ned. He never gets to tell John, yo, yeah, yo, you know, your uh, my sister was your mother. Like, it's 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 a tragedy, Ned. It tragedy. Yeah. It with, I don't know. Ned Stark to me is just a, such a sad character that um. And and I, I know I made videos like Ned Stark is stupid and all that kind of stuff. But really, at the end of the day, I just feel like he was never cut out to play the Game of Thrones. And not, it didn't really have anything to do with him being stupid. It had him to do with him being like this honorable fool. Yeah. Whereas, like, he's the person that you would want. Like, you would want him, somebody with his honor to be your hand but you need somebody like tywin that's gonna really secure you and hold you or john aaron or one of the hands that are really good that really know what they're doing and i don't think he knew what he was doing and it's kind of like just seeing him in king's landing knowing what's going to happen to him makes it even worse than like if you didn't know what was going to happen to him right i think he's yeah he's more of a soldier like he's not cut out for the commanding yeah, you know the politicking, like I think him, he, him, and and uh, the king, uh, I think Robert, yeah, King Robert, they kind of share that where they didn't know what they were getting into. They thought, yeah. no, no, we're gonna overthrow the king and hurrah, you know. <laughs> and then, nah, uh, like Robert just became a drunk and just did whatever he wanted to do. Ned was in Winterfell, and like. They they weren't even Robert himself. He wasn't cut out for the politicking. He let the Lannisters, you know, infiltrate all of his uh, picks, all the people that he picked around him. You yeah. know, it was just sloppy to begin with. And I think the show, in the show, I even I had the opinion that is pretty fucking stupid. What are you doing? Why are you gonna trust <laughs> Littlefinger? Like, but I think in the books, you get a better understanding of why he does the things he does. Because, you know, in a, in a novel, you can write from their perspective, you know, right. you can, you know, take what they're saying in their head. And like, so the honor thing is just, just emphasize so much. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's foolish, of course. But then you're like, what, what was he going to do? I don't even think he was, he, I don't think he was going to, I mean, there was things he probably could have done, but I don't think he was going to outsmart the, the Lannisters like no way Robert couldn't do that 
he died too. So yeah. it was not only him, like, you know, it a was, lot of people. It, yeah, it's like the, the people that, like you're saying, they're soldiers. They're not cut out for it. Like the people like uh, Picel, Littlefinger, Varys, you wouldn't put them on a, on the front lines and tell them to go battle Rhaegar on the trident. So you can't ex- expect <laughs> you can't expect Robert to be in their position or Ned to be in their position and know what you know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, I think it was Renly who said, "Not not warriors do not make uh, good kings." Yeah, think, it was Renly. Yeah, and it's like Ned tried to like say, you know, get. What was his name? Stannis. Yes. <laughs> I'm forgetting names. Uh, Stannis, you know, he's a rightful king. And it's like, yeah, he probably is. But like, you know, you could just take the thing yourself. Like his reluctance to take power, I think it's his, it's his downfall more than anything else. Like he didn't want the responsibility. And he tried to kick the football upward. And that just left him exposed, totally exposed. Yeah. Well, the best part of the chapter is to well to me is that Arya gets to keep Needle, and Ned, so Ned finds Needle. Um, Arya won't tell him where she got Needle. She would never betray Jon Snow. She would never tell on Jon Snow. Um, but Ned lets Arya keep Needle, and sets her up with classes. Mm. Yeah, that's where we meet Cereal <laughs> Pharrell. Yes, I love him. I love, love, love him. I love his accent, like the way he speaks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just so good to read. Love it. Okay, so three days later at midday, her father, Stuart Van Poole, sent Arya to the small hall. The trestle tables had been dismantled and the benches shoved against the walls. The hall seemed empty until an unfamiliar voice said, You are late, boy. A slight man with a bald head and a great beak of a nose stepped out of the shadows, holding a pair of slender wooden swords. Tomorrow you will be here at midday. He had an accent. The lit. He had an accent. The lilt of the free cities, bravos perhaps, or mere. So this is Cereal Pharrell, Arya's dancing master. And I feel like Cereal Pharrell's quotes, like his one-liners, are some of the best one-liners in the books. So true, so true. Well, so he calls Arya a boy, but uh, she's not a boy. And um, he does this thing where he clicks his teeth together all the time. I don't know what that's about, but... There's a lot of conspiracy theories when it comes to Cereal Pharrell. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was, I was really getting forward to this because I was, yeah. Yeah. So one of the theories that I wanted to talk about was, is Cereal Pharrell Jack and Hagar? Do you, have you heard that one? Yes, I have. I, I think that's one of the first theories I actually uh, looked into besides the uh, R plus L. Thing. Oh really? Yes. Is serial jacking? Yeah. So, the thing about there, there's like some interesting connections to serial. So, when serial 
when Arya first meets Serio, Serio was once the first sword of Bravos, and I did like this timeline where I like go back and try to date when Serio Pharrell was the first sword of Bravos. And he would have actually been the first sort of Bravos when Daenerys was staying at the Sea Lord's Palace. Wow. Right. So mm. that was kind of shady. Like, oh, could he know Daenerys? Could he be a spy? Like, what's going on here? Like, could he like could he be like one of Varys's people? Um, so then uh, the second thing about Serial Pharrell that made me think oh, this is kind of shady, was the kindly man in Bravos. <laughs> Arya, he says just so to Arya a lot, like Sirio does. And when Arya's over there, he's, she thinks of Sirio when he says it. He was like, he sounds just like Sirio. Right. So Sirio could have been a faceless man. That is, that is interesting. That is a, I always find that interesting because it's like, it is very probable. I mean, he is from Bravos. He's a first sword, you know, the sea lord of Bravos. So there's already that instant connection there between the faceless men and him. Um, he has excellent sword fighting skills, you know, so presumably he's a very good killer, just like the faceless men are. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I believe it, though. Like, it's, it's yeah. one of those things, like, you know, the JFK thing, it's kind of like that. It's like... Like, it's possible, but, like, what narrative purpose would it have? Exactly. It's like... I mean, I mean just, anybody, you could say, it could be a faceless man. Exactly. <laughs> anybody. Anybody. Yo, even Ned. Like, the, one of the craziest ones that I heard relating to this was that there was a switcheroo of Ned that Ned didn't actually die. And instead, like, some weird thing happened with Serio. And then Serio was actually jacking. And then <laughs> I was like, what? What are you guys even talking about? What? Yeah. So that's, that instantly turned me off when I was doing my research. I'm like, you know what? Let's lay this one to bed, guys. I, <laughs> I don't, if, he, if he is a faceless man, if he isn't, if he is jacking, if he isn't, you know, I kind of don't care at this point. Yeah, like, it, it, narratively, I, it doesn't do anything for me. But I do like the, 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 the point that, yeah, how did he get killed by Marin Trent? Like, yeah. Well, well, he had a wooden sword. Come on, Marin Trent is a loser. Like, come on now. So. So um, he tells Arya, Serial tells Arya, this is one of my favorite quotes, the steel must be part of your arm, the bald man told her. Can you drop your arm? Like, can you drop? There's always this him, like, saying, you know, boy, girl, you are a sword. That is all. Like, it's kind of to emphasize, in order to be very proficient in this sword fighting thing, you have to become the sword. Yeah. Like, the sword cannot be merely a tool that you use to kill people. It's a way of life. It's a way of uh, doing things. You know, it's, 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 it should be a part of you. And, yeah. and it's so interesting, you know. It, it's re it reminds me of like those those uh, all those fancy quotes from Art of War, <laughs> like oh, yeah, <laughs> to be your enemy, you must become your enemy. Like all of that kind of thing sounds completely like what training would sound like. 
And she's not really learning to sword fight, even though she is. She's learning to water dance. Yes. Very important distinction. (laughs) 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 Because water dancing is, it's a bravosi style, which I think is pretty, pretty nice. I don't know what inspired it. I think, like, off the top of my head, I would think it's like, you know, like a rapier. Mm-hmm. Like, the, what that's what's uh, inspired that. But I'm not really sure. Yeah. But, you know, it, it could be that. Uh, but that, that form of sword, you know, the thin, light sword, of course, it would demand a, a certain style. Yeah. And I like that George actually adds that little flair to it. So it's not just sword fighting it's water dancing there's a difference yes so um and there's kind of like an extra kind of gruesome meaning to it let me read this quote real quick serio says now we will just so now we will begin the dance remember child this is not the iron dance of westeros we are learning the knight's dance oh wait this is, this is not the iron dance of Westeros we are learning, the knight's dance, hacking and hammering, no. This is the bravo's dance, the water dance, swift and sudden. All men are made of water. Do you know this? Mm. When you pierce them, the water leaks out and they die. <laughs> so like the dual meaning to water dancing is basically like the killer dance. Because he's using water as, like, that's what men are made of. Blood. Yes. So it could be also called the bloody dance. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I really like that um, dual meaning. But, yeah, that's basically Arya, too. Like, she um, meets Sirio, and she's going to start doing water dancing lessons with Sirio. She has the argument with Sansa. She's questioning life. Like, she feels kind of like she's been lied to her whole life because she thought, like, these men, they would protect her. And now she sees that no one can protect her. And she kind of picks that up really fast and really early. But overall, it's 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 a good chapter. Did you have anything that you wanted to add? Um, no, I, I think we that was a thorough uh, going through of that chapter. Yeah. Very very good chapter. One of the uh, best characters. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she really is, especially when we get into a feast for crows and a storm of swords. <laughs> Yeah, but I want to thank you for coming on, everybody. You can um, I'll leave his Twitter link in the description box, and I will see you guys next week.